Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. Started to go to the closet. There just wasn't good lighting in there. <laughs> Had 51 people here out of 94 churches. All right. Thank you, choir. Every now and then I like to see your, the whites of your eyes. All you see is the back of my head. A young boy was converted on the foreign mission field, young black boy. He came to America to college. He was an incredible athlete. He was on the track team, and it looked like that he had a chance to win the state championship. And in the final race, they were all bunched up together. And then all of a sudden, this young boy saved on the mission field just went around everybody and won the race. And after everything had settled down, the other guys who were in the race uh, crowded around him and they said, we don't understand what happened. That we thought we had you beat and then all of a sudden you just came around us. And the guy said, well, I prayed. They said, well, it's, it's a Christian school. It's, you didn't have anything on us. We, we prayed too. What did you pray? The boy said, I prayed, Lord, you pick them up and I'll put them down. <laughs> it's not that we're in this thing alone, folks. God offers us help. Not only does God offer us help, he's promised to let the heavyweight be on his side. We are in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, finishing up the first chapter. We want to try to finish this book before the second coming. <laughs> so we're going to finish up the sec first chapter tonight, beginning with verse 27 of the first chapter of the book of Philippians. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. There is a sign, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul now is moving directly to the practical section. Uh, he skips the doctrinal section. You know, in many books of the Bible, there is a doctrinal section. 
Paul will give the, the normal personal greetings and an introduction, and then he will move into the doctrinal section and then uh, finish with the practical and the application. But not so to this church at Philippi, and there are many reasons why. Most would agree that the reason is this church was unusually mature. It was Paul's favorite church. And Paul says they, they have continued from the first day until the now, for 10 years, they have continued to grow spiritually. So he doesn't really feel a need to, to help them with doctrine because they seem to have a hold on doctrine. And so he skips the, the doctrinal section and he moves right into the church in application, the practical areas. In verse 27, he says, whatever happens to me, he's talking about life or death or rot in prison. Whatever happens to me. Let your, you, you be concerned about your conduct. What he's, he's personalizing and he's saying you must accept personal responsibility for who you are and what you are about in the work of God. It must not depend upon me. Whether I live or die, you carry on. I'm not building these churches on the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul may not make it. I'm building it on the Word of God that stands forever. That's what we're trying to do here in Bozier. We're not trying to build this thing on a man, but on the Word of God that never changes. The greatest compliment to a pastor when he leaves a church is that it does well after he's gone. If it falls apart, it was built on the wrong foundation. The church I left in South Carolina, by the way, last Sunday had 2,200 and something in Sunday school. And that gives me joy and makes me mad at the same time <laughs> in that uh, they beat us badly. But that work has continued to flourish because it's not built on man. It's built on a commitment to God and His Word and His will. And we're trying to build a Sunday school that's solidly based on the Word of God and a church that's based on the Word of God. And Paul said, whatever happens to me, it should not affect your relationship to God at all or the church at all. You let your conduct, your lifestyle, you carry on. He's talking about working out your own salvation. That's how Paul uh, tells us in Ephesians. He said, work out your own salvation. Salvation is an individual responsibility that nobody can work it out for you. You got to work it out. You don't work to get it. You work because you have it. You work to get its value. You work to get its fruit. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, lest you disappoint, let the Lord down. But you're to work it out. The converse of that is also true in that you cannot blame your disobedience on anybody. Hello? You can't stand before God and say, God, the reason I didn't do any more for you is because of the church I went to, because of my Sunday school teacher, or because of my preacher. You can't blame your disobedience on anybody. He says, whatever I do, live or die, you do what God tells you to do. You keep on keeping on. You keep growing, keep maturing. We cannot blame our disobedience on anybody. 
We are personally responsible and accountable to God. You don't have to answer for anybody else and nobody else has to answer for you. Your conduct, your lifestyle, in a manner worthy, becoming appropriate to the gospel. You live in such a way that is appropriate to the good news, the gospel of Christ. And then he says, I think it gives us what he expects of that church, and I think it's what God expects of every church. We can certainly find that it's applicable to our own church. He says, stand firm. Steadfastness. It's a military term. It means don't give up one inch. Hold on to what you have and keep moving forward. Dig in. Be rooted in him, trusting in him. Keep on keeping on. Don't give an inch to Satan. Don't give in to indifference and laziness. But dig in and dig down and be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, says Paul in the book of Corinthians. Always abounding. For your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The second thing, he says, in one spirit. Not only are we to have steadfastness as a characteristic of our church, but unity is also a characteristic of the church that God chooses to bless. We want to be a church that God, like God wants us to be, then we need to preserve unity, oneness. An attitude that's one of harmony. They are in step. Paul says, from the first day until the now, you have had that glorious, wonderful, sweet fellowship at Philippi. Well, you say, well, certainly. That, Paul would say that about any church, right? No. <laughs> he certainly didn't say that about carnal Corinth, about the foolish Galatians. Paul is not giving us any hype. He's saying here is a church that is unique. It's unique in many ways. One way is that they are standing firm. They are continuing on with the Lord. They are committed. They are rooted, grounded in the Lord. They have a sweet fellowship. I think one of the finest things that can be said about a church is that the church is a sweet church. Every church ought to be that way. I've never understood why people want to fuss and fight at church. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Southern Baptists, one, one of the biggest things we ever have to live down as Baptists is the way Baptist people fight among themselves in churches. And I don't know about you, but many times it makes me almost apologize that I'm Southern Baptist because we're known for our infighting. That's so sad. It's never appropriate, never right. There ought to be that fellowship, that love, that unity. You know what God thinks about discord and disunity? He hates it. That's what he says. He hates it. And whatever God hates, we ought to hate. You see, God is not the author of strife and discord. That's the devil. 
God is the author of unity, and we're to be united against the real enemy, that's Satan, Lucifer. In one spirit, maintaining unity. The third, contending, striving together. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. This word contending, it's the word striving together. It, it has in it the connotation of enthusiasm. It's an athletic term. In other words, it's a team effort. Randy Harper was telling me about his little son playing football, and he has scored several touchdowns, and he thinks erroneously that he's hot stuff. <laughs> and he said to his dad, I doubt that anybody can catch me. And Randy was telling me that he was trying to explain to him that without the blockers, he could not run and make all those yards. How foolish we are to think that we are Lone Rangers superstars. How foolish we are to think that we do not desperately need one another. The church that moves forward is a team pulling together where everyone is needed. Now, I do get sick and tired of hearing people say, well, they don't need me down there. Well, you can sit back and hide and not be willing to do anything and feel unneeded. So there's, there's something that involves you also. I've been pastor here six years. I may be wrong, and I, I'm afraid to make these kind of statements because somebody can always come up and say, I, I told you so-and-so, and I do not have a perfect memory at all. It's a feeble memory. But I don't remember anybody ever coming to me and begging for a job in this church. Please, pastor, let me work. Maybe so. Maybe you did. I just don't remember it. I do remember having to plead with a bunch of folks to get them to work. But you know, a church as exciting as this church, as potentially significant as this church, people ought to be lined up to get jobs in it. There ought to be a waiting list. Well, maybe we can't let you work this year, but you just hang in there. Maybe, maybe a year or two down the road, we'd let you work. Wouldn't that be something? Aren't you glad church just ended on Sunday night? Because a lot of people wouldn't even know church existed. <laughs> I just slipped out. I didn't mean to say it. It just came out. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Do you understand that when I study and prepare and get ready to preach and nobody comes to hear, do you understand why it aggravates me? And that's the flesh part of it. I shouldn't get aggravated by that. The other part is they ought to be here anyway. Because if you belong to anything and you don't attend it half, half the time, you're a sorry member. Why is it we're more committed to the Rotary Club than we are to church? Some folks. Well, I told you not to get me started on that. Where, where was I? <laughs> As one man contending enthusiastically 
There's one man uh, has the connotation of one mind. It's talking about attitude. Paul says we're to have the mind of Christ. And that mind is the mind of humility, but it's also of aggressiveness. We're to be aggressive for the faith. And you know what I believe? I believe that right now is the best time we've ever had to be aggressive for the faith, for the gospel. People are responsive today. We had a family this morning visiting our church from a, from a different denomination entirely, from Southern Baptist. And they just came this morning and, and uh, one of our staff members talked to them on the phone and they said, just, just come out and tell us what we need to do to be a part of that church. Incredible openness. It's easier, I believe, as Ron Lewis said when he was here, and I agree with him, I believe it's easier right now than it's been in many years to witness for Christ. I'm finding it easier personally. The only place I go with pagans is at the YMCA, the Christian organization, the Young Men's Christian Organization. That's the only time I'm with pagans. But I found in this past year, it's been easier to talk to men about the Lord than any other time. And many times they'll bring up the subject. That's different, isn't it? So we are to be aggressive while we have the opportunity. Work for the night cometh when no man can work. Did you read in the paper this morning? Uh, somebody called my attention to it, and that's the only thing in the paper I've read so far. But it, uh, it was an article written by a Jewish man who's speaking in town uh, this coming week. And he talked about how we'd pulled God out of our schools and that because our youth did not have God in their life, that they were falling apart, they could not handle the problems. And the rock music and the drugs is directly related to the fact that we'd pulled God out of their lives. And he says, just hang in there because it's going to get so bad, the school's going to be begging for God again. Amen. You know, when we hear somebody talk like that, when, when a Baptist preacher says that, we just say, yeah, that's just a Baptist preacher. This is a Jewish writer. Contending is one man. Courage without being frightened. Oh, look what he says without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how little it takes to scare us away many times? <laughs> I'm glad I got to this verse for the Pony Express people. How many of you are working on the Pony Express? Let me see your hand, raise my pie. You're going to need this verse. Don't be scared to do that. Don't be intimidated. When you offer people a chance to obey God, you're, that's, a, that's a privilege. You're not offering them smallpox. You're not trying to give away the flu. You're, giving them, you're making it convenient for them to obey God. And you're going in God's name. Don't be frightened. He's talking about opposition out there in the world. The, the word is like a skittish horse. You know, when a horse gets spooked at, a, at, a, at just a noise, have you ever seen a horse get spooked? 
I've told you about my horse riding days. <laughs> oh, horses don't like me. Horses don't like me about as much as I don't like cats. Are any of you praying that the cat that's at my house would stay there to haunt me and torment me? And <laughs> One day I'm going to lose it. I'm going to backslide and we got a dead cat in Green Acres Place. And what bothers me now is I'm getting to where I'm looking forward to backsliding. <laughs> I'm making a few plans. But when I get on a horse, a horse goes wild. Well, I used to pastor country churches. They wanted me to ride a horse. You know, they always want me to, in Texas, you pass these little country churches, you had to buy boots and you had to get a cowboy hat and you had to ride horses and you had to go hunting occasionally. You had to do all those things to pass the church. And I did them all. Not very well, but I did them all. But they would promise me the gentlest horse in the community. I remember over in direct Texas, they said, preacher, we got a horse just like a, I mean, it's, it's slow as a mule. It couldn't move if it wanted to. I got on that horse, the horse rears up in the air and starts going in circles. <laughs> I don't know how to do a lot of things, but I know how to spook a horse. But he says, we're not to be like a skittish horse that's been spooked. We're to be like a war horse standing beside a booming canton, bursting shells, and it does not flinch. It does not move. That's how we're to be against the enemy. Stand there. Too many of us are running scared, aren't we? We want him to be coddled and nursed, protected. The Bible says Satan is as a roaring lion. He's not a lion. He's been detoothed, defamed. He has no power. He's a defeated foe. He just has a roar. Courage without being frightened. How many of you think you've got courage? If I were to ask you tonight... Would you mind calling this person and asking them why they weren't in church? <laughs> Would you have the courage to do that? No, probably not. We're not very courageous. We're not very courageous, but we ought to be a lot more courageous. Not easily intimidated. Paul was an example of courage. Remember Paul, when they took him outside the city, they stoned him. They left him for dead because he was preaching and they stopped the sermon, took him out there and stoned him to death. They thought he was dead. And the, and the men were standing around Paul planning his funeral. Can you imagine that? Paul trying to come to, you know, and he hears these guys saying, now who's going to read the scripture and who's praying is going to be the pallbearers? And we got to bury this guy. And Paul raises up and says, fellas, Stop planning my funeral. I got to go back and finish my sermon. He said, you going back in that town? He said, I'm going back and finish my sermon. Now that's courage. 
And then he turned to them and he said, and y'all are going with me. Now that's leadership. <laughs> and he went back. Remember Jesus at the crucifixion? Calm, quiet, uttered not a word. Courage. Stephen, stone died like Christ. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And as the stones came against his body, he looked up and he could see Jesus. Calm. Peter and John in Acts 4, when they came to them and said, you've got to stop ever mentioning the name of Jesus. And Peter and John looked at them and said, Sirs, whether you think it's right or wrong for us to talk about Jesus, you just have to make your own decision. But for us, we're going to continue to lift up Jesus Christ. As long as we've got a tongue, we're going to talk about Jesus. Courage. Paul says we need in our churches courage. 365 verses in the Bible say, fear not. The Spirit of the Lord is not a fear, but it's of power. And then look in verses 29 and 30. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle that I am. Here's what I'm saying. If you dare to be courageous, if you contend enthusiastically, if you aggressively move forward with the gospel, if you stand firm and stand courageously, therefore you can expect to suffer. Nowhere in this book will you find that you can live godly and not expect to suffer. In fact, it says, those who live godly shall, what? Hello? Suffer persecution. Live godly and expect persecution. Stand firm for God and expect to suffer for Christ. It comes with a territory. You need not expect anything else. But here's the clincher that you don't like. You don't want to hear me say this. You don't want to believe it's so. But suffering is one of the most beneficial things that can happen to us. I'm not sure God can do in our lives what he wants to do without suffering. What are some of those benefits of suffering? It identifies us with Christ. We're willing to suffer for Christ, to be identified with Him. We saw that in the abortion this past week. And those who arrested for stopping the standing in front of the door. And I'm still praying about that. I don't know, I don't know what's the best way to take a stand. I do know this. I am more than willing to be arrested for Christ. I just want to be sure that I'm doing it the way he would be pleased. Identified with Christ. It draws us closer to Christ. Suffering does. You look back over your life, the times you've got the closest to Christ is because of some crisis, some suffering, some 
problem, some difficulty. The bottom fell out. And you cried out to God. It draws you closer to Christ. Tell you something else, it matures us. Nothing will grow you up and mature you like trouble and sorrow and difficulty and problems and adversity. And that's not bad. We, we need to understand that we profit from our trials and that through conflicts do we grow and our relationships are deepened through conflicts. We need to understand that. I'm going to change the way I do premarital counseling, I think, and I'm going to spend the time that I spend with these couples just teaching them how to fight. Because it's foolish to pretend they're not going to fight. I just need to teach them how to fight fairly and how to grow through their fights. But we want to pretend. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. I, you, you know, you know, we just, we portray a wrong image, folks. When people look at us, And they see in our lives gross inconsistencies. They say, well, we're hypocritical and we, we, we don't want that. Or they look at us and they, we're pretending that we've got all the answers. And they say, I could, never, I could never measure up. I could never do that. And so when they look at us, it's a false image. Because we're not realistic. We're, we're not saying to people, don't put your eyes on me. Put them on Christ because I'm struggling. I'm imperfect. I'm still messing up. I'm not being hypocritical. I'm being honest and open and telling you I have not arrived. And I'm not a goody-goody. And you can come in here and struggle with me. Maybe we ought to advertise and say, come crash with us. We'll help you survive. Church is a place where you can crash. Where you can still have problems and be accepted and loved. Because when we pretend that we have it all together and that we don't have any problems, then the very people we're trying to help look at us and say, I could never be without problems. I could never live that kind of life. And so they want They won't come in. Problems benefits us in that it matures us. It also equips us for service, for ministry. I'm not sure you'll ever really want to help people. Listen to me. Until you get in a spot where you desperately need help. And then when you come through that, guess what? You want to help people. And then it singles us out to display God's glory. I, there's a lot of things I cannot explain in, in this life and may never 
I can't explain sickness and why some people get so sick and why God heals one every now and then and doesn't heal most of them. I've asked God a thousand questions about Christy Lindbergh and have received no answers. But I tell you what, God has displayed His glory in her little life over and over and over again. I don't, I can't explain Sharissa Williams. who may go to be the Lord before this service is over, if she's not there already. That the moment she did business with God back several years ago, it seemingly has gotten worse and worse and worse with strange diseases. But I have seen God's glory displayed in her life many, many times. So God doesn't say that he will remove us from suffering. But he does say that he will glorify himself through us. And he'll bring good out of bad. And I just believe that he gives grace to the one suffering and grace to those who stand with the one suffering. And through it all, we grow a little. I think one of our problems is we feel like we have to have explanations. We, we don't. And many times there aren't any explanations. But I want, to, I, want, I want to get it into your mind just because you know and love Jesus and even because you're close to Jesus does not mean that you will be isolated from suffering, from disease, from accidents. It does not mean that. Miss Scott was sharing with me about Manly Beasley who has come back from death over and over again. And now his young son's wife has incurable cancer. And she may die. And that son is saying, I don't understand why God would bring back Manly. If he did it for Manly, he'll do it for my wife. Not necessarily. God does not promise that He will deliver us from suffering. He promises to bless us and to benefit us through suffering. He delivers through the fire. And we've got to leave room for that in our theology of healing. God heals some instantaneously, but he does it very seldom, seemingly. He usually uses medical science, and that's an instrument of healing. But some will die, and all die eventually. 
You've got to leave room for that. And you can have the greatest faith in the world. It's not that you say, if I just had enough faith. And you see, here's my problem with faith healers is they've got a, they've got a, a win-win situation because they say, we're going to claim your healing. And then if it doesn't work, they're going to say, you don't have enough faith. The Bible says if you've got a faith of a grain of mustard seed, that's so small you almost have to have a magnifying glass to see it. You can move mountains. problem is not that we need a formula. It's not that we need more faith. We simply have to trust God. Do our part and trust God. And if he's big enough to create this whole world and you and me and do what he's done up till now, somehow I have to believe he can handle our particular situation. You say, I just want God to be fair. No. We want God to be merciful. And anything we get better than hell is mercy. Anything we get that's better than hell is divine mercy. Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts in this time of invitation. Draw us closer to you. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 